Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Good morning. Here we are again. It's a pretty grey old day in Sydney. Not looking fantastic out there, but um, we're pumping in here. We're looking for uh, a long, interesting discussion with one of our YouTube um, contestants, which has come through by Kate. Kate's come up from Melbourne. We're going to have a talk to her, and she's going to pitch to us about her idea, and we're going to film that as well. We had a lot happen between the last podcast and today. The last po- since the last podcast, we've had. Uh, Greece sort of doing a deal. Um, whether or not that's a real deal or not, we'll find out in due course. But it's sort of settled markets down a fair bit. We've had the RBA come out with its minutes uh, from the last meeting, so we'll have a chat about the RBA minutes. And uh, the Westpac Consumer Confidence Survey has come out, which is something we like to touch on because that's always relevant. And, of course, uh, the uh, Shanghai Index, the what's going on in China, it sort of bounced back a little bit and I've been a fair bit of Chinese support and the importance of China to Australia is uh, critical and we need to talk about that. This week's top five. What's happened this week or in the last, in the last seven days, um, the RBA is probably the most important reference point in relation to that. Um, they uh, had their meeting two weeks ago. The minutes came out yesterday. Overall, the RBA minutes are fairly positive. Now, I'm not saying that that... Uh, you know, Australia's on fire. We're not on fire. We're, we're nowhere near trend in terms of the GDP or gross domestic product. Um, but they I do like the fact that inflation looking is looking low. In other words, it's well below the band, the 2 to 3%. We're happy with that or they're happy with that. Um, <clears throat> they think that the um, house prices in, in, in and the house price activity in Sydney is actually not a bad thing because that shows some positive signs, some, uh, some uh, confidence in the marketplace. That's important for the RBA. Um, unemployment numbers uh, or job advertising is starting to look pretty solid, um, which is a good thing, which means you would expect or they would expect unemployment numbers to start falling backwards. In other words, for the unemployment number to improve, to get better for the economy, which is a good thing, which means that you know the lower interest rates are starting to have some net effect on the marketplace. Um, commodity prices haven't continued to fall. They're, they're sort of leveled out a fair bit. They're notwithstanding all the Ructions in the market in relation to Greece and uh, China. Financial markets have remained, relatively speaking, stable. The US is continuing to look better and uh, as, as we go along and get better and better and better. Europe's in a bit of a, a doldrums, but the US being the biggest economy in the world, that's starting to look better and uh, the RBA is happy with that. So 
Overall, I think the RBA is saying their stimulatory low interest regime looks like it's in the right place. Now, I wouldn't call it Goldilocks, but it's in the right place, so it's not bad. It's better than coming out saying the place is ratchet and we're going to start dropping interest rates again. So look forward to seeing what the RBA does in the next meeting, which is in a a couple of weeks' time. Um, It's not that far off. I always like to hear what Bill Evans has got to say from Westpac. Bill Evans is a to me, is one of the best economists in the country and his team and uh, their data seem to be the most accurate as far as I'm concerned. And uh, Bill is saying today that uh, he doesn't expect there to be an interest rate reduction because, in his opinion, the RBA is very data-driven, which is why we keep talking about how important data is, why I keep wanting to talk about what's data coming up and what data we've had in the last week because the RBA makes the decisions about interest rates. Interest rates drive this economy. So you know, want to know what drives the RBA and what drives the RBA's data. And Bill's saying there doesn't seem to be any new data that's coming through that's likely to encourage the Reserve Bank to reduce their interest rates next time they meet. That's the conclusion you need to draw. And that's all there is. That's all I've got to say about uh, what's going on economically in this country at the moment. So, yeah, of course, econo- economies grow year on year. Um, they don't change that much in a week or a month. So don't expect too much to happen in a week. So what we've got here is some sensible rhetoric from the RBA in their minutes talking about the economy is sort of where they'd like to have it, particularly in relation to the dollar. The dollar is starting to respond appropriately. In other words, it's coming down or and it's definitely not going up. That's the most important part. So around 73, 74, and it's, uh, that's against the US and in terms of other currencies is looking fairly good. They'd probably like to see it a bit lower. It's not going to. It's not. There's nowhere near the sixty cents where they probably would like to see it, but it's low enough at the moment to stim- stimulate export manufacturing industries in, in this country, which ultimately um, stimulate unemployment or, or, or sorry, new employment. So all good, happy. Oh, what I should say is the Westpac Consumer Index has come in, as you would expect, a little under the weather because. Consumers have got a little bit worried last week about what happened in Greece and what happened in China, but like it's not going to sort of nothing's going to turn on it. To be frank with you, that's sort of past consumer confidence surveys. Let's look. Let's look, let's look to the next one. I think the RBA is covered off enough of this as, as it is. So, the next thing we're going to do, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to go to the Eagle's Nest. Let's uh, climb up that mountain and jump into that nest and uh, stroke an eagle. Um, we've got uh, a lady called Kate Dillon and. Um, She's going to come in and talk to us, and she's going to pitch to me in a few minutes. Um, and she's done a good job in what she presented in her YouTube video. We looked through all the YouTube videos, and uh, Kate's one was one of the best ones we've seen. Right, Eagle's Nest. Today, standing in front of me is a lovely young lady. Her name is Kate Dillon. Thank you, Kate, for coming in. Thanks, Mark. Now, Kate is a, a lawyer, part-time at the moment. She has been a full-time lawyer. She has a master's degree in commercial law, specialising in intellectual property. Um, she also has, when I read her dossier, she's um, done studies at RMIT in design, which is quite an unusual thing when you consider she's a lawyer, but it's not that unusual when you consider that she's specialised in intellectual property because intellectual property is largely about design and designing things and uh, making sure that you nail it down and you uh, make, sure, make sure in an IP sense that no one else is going to nick it. And, um, and Kate is uh, uh, obviously representative of a big marketplace of professional people and women who 
not just who are just professionals, but women who carry a lot of stuff around with them, and they've got a busy lives, and uh, they're trying to build the most efficient way of living that life that is balancing between work, sport, uh, leisure, and exercise, and whatever other things women have to do, like entertainment and going out and just hanging out with friends, etc. And that means compressing as many things as you possibly can into the same package of time that we all have. That's 24 hours in a day. No one else can expand that. So you've got to, we have to compress. And I'd say what Kate's going to talk about is her creativity and her initiative around dealing with that efficiency issue. So I'm going to let Kate now tell you what that's about. Thanks, Mark. Well, in a few words, SheLine is about beautiful tools for the modern woman. They're luxurious handbags that help you perform at your best and look fiercely elegant while doing so. Briefly, as Mark said, I'm a lawyer and I work in a top-tier firm and I have done so for the past eight years. I'm admitted to practice in Australia and New York. As a professional woman, I regularly carry a laptop, sometimes reams of paperwork together with a handbag, and if I'm organised, also a gym bag, as Mark said. Like many professional women, I like to look my best and feel empowered in what I wear when I go to work, but lots of handbags do tend to have a bit of a messy look. While the market's not short of a beautiful handbag, there are amazingly few that are specifically tailored for the working woman. By that, I mean fashionable and functional. After speaking with many women and friends in professional services, they too have found it really difficult to find such a bag. With this in mind and an insider's view about what I and many other women, working women, require from a handbag, both from a functional and a fashional perspective, um, I decided to create exactly this, handbags made with fierce elegance and premium functionality in mind, empowering the working woman to walk fearlessly. The SheLine collection, launched this month, now consists of seven beautiful handbags ranging in size, colour and texture. All of the bags come complete with distinctive interiors designed specifically to cater for everything you need to take to and from the office, um, including technology, paperwork, as well as all of the usual things we insist on putting in our handbags. Not only did I want to create bags that were practical, but I wanted to create bags that made you feel confident and able to take on the world when you wore them. SheLine is about more than just handbags. It's about empowering women. It's about being true to your essence. And it's about knowing that anything is possible with a bit of guts and determination. All handbags are intentionally made with minimal branding. They're beautifully made, I might add, but with minimal branding so that the woman knows that um, it's a constant reminder, sorry, to the woman that she is her own brand. I chose the name SheLine because Lioness for me wasn't quite strong enough. SheLine reflects the qualities and values of these women in business. She's the highly skilled multitasker, confident and comfortable with herself and her own abilities. She embraces her femininity and is resilient and ambitious. She has strong intuition and appreciates who she is as an individual. She has the courage to go her, her own way. What I really love about SheLine is it also talks to those people who are aspiring to hold and exercise those qualities. They might have just entered the corporate world. Um, it speaks to women on every level of that journey. My hope for SheLine is that it really inspires women across the board um, to be who they are and to be their best. Thank you. Wow. Well, <clears throat> for those people who watch this, video, there's a good example of a very good pitch. Um, well-structured, well-put-together, well-executed, um, uh, Kate presents well, 
and I notice that she talks to the camera, she moves around the room, she works with the right amount of pausing, the whole thing is very composed. Well done, good job. Thank so you. i got a few questions I want to ask you about it though. Yes. Um, so who is your market? So that's a really good question. I know it is. Who's your market? Yeah, my target market. Well, to give you some numbers, I've looked at the ABS um, statistics recently and there's approximately 1.3 million professional women working in Australia, although professional women um, described by the ABS is quite narrow. So this doesn't include women that would still require a handbag that um, carries paperwork. Assume I'm an investor, right? I'm the guy who's looking at... Whether I should invest in your business, okay? Yes. That, that's so. How am I going to make money? Tell me. Well, I'm 1. telling you. 1.3. Yes, 1.3. Okay. If I take a really small percentage of that quantity of women, that yep. market, so yep. I'm saying it's a much bigger group than that. That's a narrowly defined market. If I take 0.25%, even 0.5%, that's like 3,000, 6,000 women. If I take my median target, that's a turnover of 1.5 million to 3 million. At your price? Yes. At your price? Yes. Okay. So 1.5 million. So these are sizable groups, but that's a professional yeah. Yeah, yeah, woman yeah. defined by the ABS. It okay, doesn't include the broader market of women. That, that, that's your market and that not yes. ABS stats. That's fair enough. What about your pricing? Why do – I mean, you gave me a figure of $1.5 million cash. Where did you get your pricing forward to, from? Obviously, I want to have um, affordable handbags, but I'm offering a premium product. So they're investment pieces. They're built to last. It's about sustainability. How much? Uh, seven ninety nine for the big bags, and that includes a really beautiful quality premium leather handbag that comes with a removable matching leather laptop bag that you can also fit paperwork in, and an auto open umbrella, ranging down to one sixty nine for the smaller bag that comes with that removable. Let's look. Um, Let's have a look at them. So these are the. This is actually the bag I'm wearing today. Um, this is seven seven ninety nine. Same with this one. So this is the rainmaker. This is the deal closer. This is the trailblazer, which is a compendium that you can wear and it fits your iPad in there. Um, this is the negotiator, the strategist, and the originator. And this is the small, your everyday So is this like a backpack, this one? It is a backpack and it's, um, as you can I'll show you, um, for your computer, for your cords, be two phones. I'd like one. I mean, that is awesome. Seriously, <laughs> and, I mean, this is pretty cool stuff. And for your umbrella. And I don't know whether... Okay, this looks great. Great quality. Yes. I'll talk about the quality in a second. Yes. So the functionality, I get it. Yes. It's got all the functionality, right? That's important. Very. Uh, pricing, I don't understand whether that's right pricing or not, but you need... It's not a matter of you saying, Mark, relative to the quality is a great price. The question is, relative to your marketplace, is it a great price? And I'll come back to that. I want you to okay. talk about that. Absolutely. Um, uh, in terms of... Um, um, design, I think, look, just looking at it now, to me, I'm a bloke, but very impressive. Thank you. I, I mean, I don't know much about handbags, but I like it. I'm a survey one. It's not a good survey. Have you done any surveys? Yes. Right. And what, yeah. what's the general view? The general view is that they've been really well received. And so I have a bit of an insider's knowledge, obviously, of what I'd want in a bag. Mm-hmm. And I've got great access to a large network of women who I can bounce off. Okay, so 800 bucks for the, the U-Butte one. Yeah. Um, relative to what? I mean, is that like equal to a Gucci bag or something? No, like that? no, that's no. much more affordable. Gucci bag, you're talking anywhere from two grand up. Right. Okay. So I'm sort of in the middle market of between sort of the edginess of Mimco, but the functionality price point of Oriton, but more fierce. 
So there's more ability. What does that mean, more fierce? So it gives you the ability to really express your personality a bit more. I found whenever I've looked for a handbag that is functional, there are lots that are functional and there are lots that are beautiful, but there are very few that are both. Mm. And these are, they make a big statement. I mean, they're not conservative bags. They're, you, you know, you're going to get noticed with your handbag and it's also functional. So you can feel empowered as a woman and look beautiful and embrace your femininity you and your own brand. That's it. These are the colours at the moment because I'm self-funded yeah, yeah. and so this is what I've been able to But you can do afford. a mini colour. Yes. Yeah, so you funded this yourself. Yeah. Kate, women are really into their brands. Absolutely. How are you going to convince women to leave their Gucci, their Marc Jacobs behind and follow Sheline? Well, Sheline is about a third or a quarter of the price of those big brands. Um, and also the the quality of the bags, it screams at you when you look at them. And there is minimal branding, so you can remove the tiny Sheline scratch that's on there. This is the, the minimal branding. It's all removable, the medallion. And it's only Sheline on the inside. So people will look at your handbag and go, gosh, that's beautiful. They might actually think that um, it is a really high, expensive designer bag. Um, but in actual fact, it's just a really beautiful bag. You've got a fantastic price for where it. It's also functional. Asia Pacific. Which in is where? Mainland China. Okay. There's this amazing um, factory. They're all made by hand. I've visited. And, Handmade? Yeah. Um, really ethical. I've gone and met them a few times and looked all through the factory and seen production. Uh, ethical means in your terms? Um, everybody is older, like they're all adult. Uh, they're all really happy. They had um, accommodation and given lunch and it, everybody was just, it was clean. It was, I think, really well put together, a real commercial enterprise. And there's nothing sprayed in there? I mean, I mean, do you know what the materials, like for example, I mean, that's leather, is that leather? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, yeah, um, is the leather... Sort of not poisonous or was hasn't been spray painted. I mean, no. I don't know how the colour. Yeah, no, things, well, patent leather is treated to <clears throat> to be patent leather. All all of the leather I've used has got interesting textures, um, so it's all been um, treated, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's premium top grain leather. So I mean, could you can you market this? I, I think to Jess's point, I think you, you, what you got to do is you got to move yourself. There's no point trying to compete with Gucci and no. all those. You've got to put yourself in a different playing field yes. in a position where they don't compete. So maybe what you've got to be talking about here is, look, this is an ethical, ethically built bag or it's, uh, you know, you can guarantee it's uh, um, sustainability in terms of the environment or you can guarantee that there's no slave labour or you can guarantee that it's you know, not poisonous or there's, you know, the ingredients in this are, you know, conducive to good health or are, are not the opposite to that. Um, I mean, you've got to build up a, a brand around there outside of what the big bag, handbag companies do, I think. Yes. Because, yeah, you know, if you want to make it fashionable, what is fashionable now is ethical stuff. Absolutely. So you can't, you can't say this bag's fashionable. What's fashionable is the concept behind it. So what's fashionable about Gucci is it's Gucci. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the brand itself. It's what Gucci stands for. Gucci stands for you've got money or you can afford to you know, buy this thing or, you know, you you know, successful or whatever the case, success and, you know, aspirational, et cetera. So that's the thing that's fashionable. What's also fashionable is ethics, good ethics, plus style, ethics and style. And function. It, it's clearly stylish. It's as, to me, it looks as good as anything you would see in another, in a branded place. But the branded place, which was Jess's point, is that you're fighting against the message that brand sends, money, success, Okay. 
So maybe you can still sort of show money success, but it's not really because it's a cheaper bag. Um, you can sort of show quality and ethics or something else. I mean, and, and how are you going to get that out in the marketplace? How are you going to tell people about that? It's quality and ethics, but it's mainly female empowerment. It's about encouraging women. How do you build that out? That's a hard thing to tell people about. I mean, I get it. I understand what you're trying to say. Yes. But how do I... I don't... Right now, Shearline doesn't say female empowerment. Is it the bag that's going to do that or are you going to run a campaign to say... I'm going to run a campaign. Right, okay. So that's what you need money for? Um, Well, at the moment, I am... I'm really confident that I want to bring the bags to market myself, but um, it would be wonderful to gain insight from you just generally, but more specifically, I am looking for investor contacts to be able to launch overseas and also your advice. I launched here first. I have, have launched here you first. You have launched now. Yeah, launched two weeks ago. And how did it go? Um, really, really well. It was wild. Online or? Online, but I had a launch in Melbourne at Arc One. Right. And it was sort of a hundred or so people came along, largely colleagues, um, to see the bags and they were really well received and made quite a few sales on the launch and quite a few since. And the website's up now at shelion.net.au. Right. And we've also got social channels, Shelion Bags on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So you're running all the social stuff going? Yes, and, yes. Uh, and have you got many followers at this stage? Uh, building, definitely yeah. building. Um, I'm wanting to really, like, watch this space, but I'm wanting to get some uh, female ambassadors to wear the bags and also help push the female empowerment side of things as well. Well, Gina Liano is on my show. You should get hold of her and get her to uh, carry one and or Gabby Greco. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, would, I mean, if they, generally, being a lawyer as well, she's a criminal lawyer, but yeah. a barrister down, down in Victoria. I don't know. It's just sometimes, you know, she's quite a celebrity. I, I didn't realise how big a celebrity she but she is. And um, you know, she's got that show on down there, and everyone seems to be papping around Sydney at the moment because we're, we're filming the show at the moment. Um, I got a surprise, her popularity, but good on her. But I, I just think that sometimes someone says, well, yeah, I'll do that for you. I mean, I don't know how commercial she is. She might say, give me 5% of your business. I wouldn't have a clue. But she might just say, look, I like that bag. I really dig it. You give me the bag for nothing, I'll, I'll put it over my shoulder for a while. Yeah. And even talk about it and put it up on her Twitter. Yes. Or put it up on her Instagram or wherever. Um, I think you've got to try and hunt a few of those people down. Absolutely. That's that's exactly my next yeah, stage. Yeah, you've got to get yeah. – and someone, you just got to get someone who says, look, I'll do it. I mean, I, I, see, I remember Ugg boots were – taken on by some Americans in New York many years ago and all of a sudden Uggboots became an international brand. Um, Sass and Bide, the same thing. Absolutely. They got some girls in New York to start wearing the stuff around New York. And, of course, Sass, and, Sass and Bide. They, I don't know jeans. that one, but, I mean, yeah. I do know the Sass and Bide one story. And uh, I, I think that they made their brands just – they lucked it too. But yeah. I guess when I say they lucked it, they must have been hunting down – celebrities or someone to carry these things. And I'd happily carry one around for you, but oh, uh, thank you. it wouldn't, <laughs> won't suit me. Um, so uh, you might get the wrong outcome if I start walking around <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> I think celebrity endorsement would be really helpful that, that's, that's, for women that's in business. Cool. Yeah, women Absolutely. in business. Well, even just women. Just women. Yeah, just women. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think they're, that, to me, they look very elegant. I really like the structure of the bag. I like design generally. Yeah. I, I'm sort of a, a design perv. So I think they are beautifully designed. I mean, you might not be able to see this on the video, but I think they're beautiful design. They they glisten a little bit too, but not overly. Mm. There seems to be enough metallics in there to get your attention, but at the same time remain elegant and classy. Um, structurally, they look quite sound to me. Yeah, I get the fu- I, I accept what you say about functionality because I really don't know what's inside a woman's handbag, but I just accept that you, you know you've done a good job on that. 
Thank you. Because that is my point of difference, to be honest. It's yeah. really a niche product it's, that's not out there works. at the moment. Well, it's just not out there yeah, at the yeah. moment. So there is going to be a following for it because so many women have been looking for something like this and have not been able to find How it. How are you going to get to some of these I mean, what, what are you thinking about? Like, you, know, now, you know, you've, you've zoned right in on what I just said. Um, you already knew that. How do you find, who are you targeting to carry one of these things around? Oh, it'd be like um, Emma Isaacs, head of business chicks. Yeah, yeah, Emma, Or yeah. Janine Ellis, um, Boost Juice entrepreneur. That's sort of big name. Yeah. One of the CEOs from Google, I think, is female. I need to look into that more, but I've got a whole list how of will you women. Get to, how will you get to Emma, for example? Um, I write personal notes to them, telling them that, you know, I'm so impressed by everything that they've okay. done. I'm going to send Emma an email today. for you today. Oh, thank you. I know. So I'll send you, but... Uh, Emma's, she's Victorian, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, what about, uh, I'll, if you remind me to send Emma an email, um, what can I, you give me some material I can send to her? I mean, Yeah, like, absolutely. And, and, and just, I'll introduce you to Emma. Oh, and thank her to you. you. And just see whether, like, you know, she has thousands and thousands and thousands yes, of I'm people follow you. Yeah. Um, are you in business chicks? Yes. Okay, that's important. <laughs> and I'll say that um, what we'll do is we'll talk about uh you know, maybe you just go and have a cup of coffee with her at her convenience. That'd be wonderful. And take your coterie of uh, arms with you. Yes. And uh, present her and just see what she says. Look, if I was you, I'd be saying, listen, have one. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Just say, Look, take this yours. Yeah. Um, I don't know if maroon's her colour or whatever colour that is. Maroon, isn't it? Yep. Or um, burgundy. Is that blue? Yeah, navy. And black? Yep. And, and in terms of stock, let's say you get an order for a 1000 what's your story? I mean, how are you going to do that? Well, that's the that's the cash twenty two because it's all paid up front. Right, right. Yeah. So you get people to come online, pay the dough, and then you order. No, no. no. I, I purchase the product and then you sell it so that you can. Oh, you have to have quick. stock. Mm, yeah. How long does it take? What's the turnaround time for stock? About eight weeks to get something made. Mm. But why can't you say to people, put your order in, or it's eight weeks? You know, give me a deposit. And... There's legal issues around back ordering. Yeah, Is there? yeah. You can't yeah. do that. Well, you need to have sort of four or five weeks, I think. Turnaround, right? Yeah, so you, you can have... say I'll email you when the product comes in, and you can back order it, but not necessarily take payments. Is that right? Mm. Women are, I think, all of us as shoppers, we, we we want things instantly too. Yeah. If I found out that there was an eight week turnaround, actually, there was a leather jacket just recently I was going to buy, and I found out it was an eight week wait, and I said, oh no, don't worry. Yeah. Is that because it's coming from China or something? Or you didn't? Know well, no, was. it was actually just coming from New Zealand. It was um, lamb. Anyway, and, it, and it, yeah, and they just said, "Oh, we've just got a, a backlog," and I said, mm, "Not yeah. interested." So I wonder if, yeah, yeah exactly. you, I think you do. You didn't well, sort of, and, what, and so what sort of working capital do you need to have enough to deal with, say, five hundred orders? Do you have a sense of that? Five hundred <coughs> orders? Yeah, you probably need. This is borderline sensitive information that I'd love to talk to you offline about, but probably not put on the on the podcast. But, but, you, but you know the numbers. Yes, I do. Yes, so, I've done all the numbers. And that's the sort of stuff you've got to raise. Absolutely. That's where you need an investor. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it what, would be... What would you offer an investor, Kate? That's exactly where I, you come in and I'd love your guidance on that point. I mean, I mean, I guess it's, to be frank with you, uh, look at Daniel over there. Daniel might want to um, invest in this. <laughs> Maybe That's a great idea. His family might want to invest in it. Um, uh, and I know his dad. I mean, they're, they're looking at investing in various businesses. Um, I guess in terms of what... That's a hard question What when you ask me what would... I do in terms of bringing on an investor. You've got a. It, it's not a matter of you saying, "Oh, my business is worth a million dollars, and if I give twenty percent away, that's sort of worth a couple hundred grand." So if you give me a couple hundred grand, you're now a twenty percent shareholder. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, it's more demand and supply. Yes. Um, and it's sort of like how much, how 
much do you want to give away in order just to get this thing going? Mm-hmm. And that's why I always look for an investor who's going to actually add something to the business, not just money, yes. who has a equal amount of enthusiasm. And really it comes down to not only what percentage you give the investor but what rights associated with the investor's investment. I mean, for me, I wouldn't give many voting rights. It'd make an economic interest only. Yeah. Sort of nearly like a synthetic interest. Um, you are still own 100% of the business but they get 20% of the economics, Yeah. for example. Yes. Um, no voting rights, uh, no veto rights, etc. Um, then you can then you can afford to give more away exactly. because you're still in control of your business. You might say, "Look, I'll give you thirty percent for a for a couple hundred grand, if that's enough to to get the thing off the ground yep. up and running." Um, and then the investor's going to want to know, "Okay, well, what are you going to earn out of it, Kate?" Like uh, you can say, "Look, I'll work for nothing for a year or something along those lines." They want to know that you're committed. Yeah, and the investor as well should be someone who can add some value to the business. Yeah. You know, they might – just you just don't want a straight-out cash investor. No. You want someone who can sort of – who's a good marketing person or someone who's got some skill that perhaps you don't have, they're well-connected or they own a TV station or a radio station or a podcast or, you know, an entrepreneurial business like the young bloke over here, um, you know, and that, that they can actually promote this thing. Absolutely. That, that's who you've got to be looking for. And in order to catch their, capture their attention – um, I go straight back to where we started from. You need to get a celebrity or some celebrities to to promote this. Yeah. I'm actually working with an amazing woman who's um, been very much like a mentor, Sarah Gale, and um, she's very well versed in the in the fashion industry and that's been invaluable. Um, and obviously I've got huge support from my family and my husband, which mm. has been amazing. But I suppose the hardest thing about stepping into a new arena is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So it's been really important to surround yourself with talented people, a small team, but really talented experts in their field that cover off the gaps that I don't have. And that's that's been really effective so far to be able to move this to where it has in sort of... 14, 15 months. So if you, if, so uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to wind it up now because this has been an interesting conversation. So I'm going to put you in contact with Emma Isaacs. Thank you. Um, that's one. Two, if I wanted to buy one of these, any one of these items, yes. how do I do it? Online at shelion.net.au. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right, and good. you can check out our bags on Instagram or on Facebook or well, on Well, we'll Twitter. give you a plug on my Twitter. Oh, I would love that, Mark. Um, and, but I might wait a week or two until uh, we get a bit more. I, I mean, I've got a lot of followers, but I, we're just starting the show. So this, people are starting to get back active into following me, though people used to follow the show. So I'll give it a, a, give more, a couple more weeks of activity in my, around my Twitter That'd be great. handle and then I'll give it a pump. So uh, Thank if you. we get the details, well, obviously we've got the details here and I'll, I'll give it a run. It would be wonderful if um, I could ask you to put a live link on your website I'll near sh- the... Well, something. Thank okay. you. Cheers. Cool. Okay. Well done. Good on you. Good pitch. Thank you. What's interesting is you know, we just had Kate Dillon in there doing a pitch, and what she's done is, when I first heard about it, and she's talking about handbags, I thought, yeah, what's innovative? What's new about that? Um, but not until I actually saw the detail did I get get a sense of what was innovative about those handbags. So my next topic, the thing, I'm th- thing I want to talk about at the moment is uh, the whole concept of innovation and what drives it. I don't think it's someone sitting down there tinkering away in a backyard in a garage with, you know, a whole lot of ideas and playing around is really where innovation comes from. Um, you know, just sort of these you know, real creative inventor type people who are always looking at new stuff. I actually think the best innovation 
is not stuff you stumble upon, but the best innovation is something that you actually set out to, to cure. In other words, there's a something that's a problem and I would like to have a cure for it or remedy the problem. So Kate's a good example. She's a, she was a full-time lawyer, professional person, busy, had to carry all the stuff around the place, laptop, stuff that a woman carries, gym gear, et cetera, et cetera, and didn't want to have three bags, wanted to have one bag, basically. Um, and there was a, something that needed to be remedied and her, she did that through innovation. And actually she broke the thing down, broke down the problem and or deconstructed the problem and then reconstructed it into a solution. And that reconstruction process is where she became creative. It wasn't creative per se that, that resulted in innovation. It was necessity or a problem that needed to be remedied that resulted in innovation. So, so, I, I, so when we're looking at new products in any market, even in my market, financial services or technology, you, the ones that seem to be the ones that are the best are not just something that's a bloody good idea and, oh, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have that. It's actually something where there's a need for something to be created, a need to, for something to be remedied. And, you know, financial services products, for example, is one of the hardest markets to do that in because most of the, most of the needs of consumers out there are already remedied. So it's very difficult in my environment to, to do this. And what we tend to do is when, you, when you're in a crowded market and you've got lots and lots of um, product out there, which are directed at lots and lots of remedies, um, you tend to get caught up in that process and just think they're all the solutions. For example, all these fashion labels that Jess was talking about before, they probably think they've got all the answers to all the bags um, because they're so caught up in their day-to-day stuff, they actually don't step back and have a look at what they're doing. Or, and as I say in my book, I think it's chapter 17 of my book or something, I talk about taking a step back and having a look at what you're doing, actually removing yourself from the mud wrestle and see what's going on around you. And um, um, this brings me to this whole topic, which you know, the Harvard Business Review talks about, that is giving all your people, everyone in your environment, you know, an opportunity to sit, step back and have a look at what you're doing and, say, spend a day a month trying to come up with solutions or new innovations or new concepts or just even discussing these new concepts and throwing ideas out there that someone else might be able to grab hold of and run with and turn it into something. Not everyone's creative, but everyone knows what the problems are. So first and foremost, let's outline the problems. I mean, are our products, if you're at Gucci or if you're in my business, Yellow Brick Road, are our products and services right now addressing all the uh, problems that the marketplace has? And, uh, and, you know, new problems come up. So you can't keep selling the same old solutions when new problems exist. You can't keep trying to jam an old product down in someone's throat when actually that's not really what they want anymore. The, the market's changed. And that's where people become arrogant. They become very good at what they do and they own a market. They monopolise a, a market or they um, engage and um, uh, dominate a market and then they try to say, no, no, this is what we've always sold. This is what we will continue to sell. And the consumer, that's what you'll buy. That leaves it wide open for disruptors because a disruptor will sit there and say, no, you're, you're, you're right, Mr. Dominator. You dominate this marketplace. But me, the disruptor, I've worked out a new way of doing this. It's cheaper. It's the functionality is different and I will disrupt your market share because of your arrogance and I'm going to sit down and think about what the problem is. I'm going to remedy the problem and I'm going to produce the product. That's what disruptors do. And disruptors um, are looking for remedies. So it's a, I think the big companies have got to step back and have a look at themselves and start to offer their employees, everybody, not just the senior management, everybody in their organisation, a period of time every so often 
to just to sit back and have a look at the products and services that they are producing in the marketplace to build some um, remedy pro- problem remedy sort of environments whereby they can start to create something to get around the issues that are around that are they're at hand. Now there could be the you know like sometimes guys at the top level and the women at the top level they haven't got a clue what the consumer wants. They just don't have a faintest idea. They're so disconnected with what's going on in the marketplace is ridiculous. They're actually interested in the profit and loss account and the margins, the gross margins, the net margins, the overheads, reporting to the investor market, et cetera, et cetera. And they actually lose touch with what's going on at the ground level. So it's important to engage everyone in your organisation from the ground level right up to the executive level. One's not better than the other, by the way. So I think this concept that Harvard, the Harvard uh, Business Review is talking about, about offering a day a week, a day a month, I should say, for everybody to sit down and engage in problem solving and trying to create new solutions is quite an important one, especially today, these days, as opposed to years ago, when um, consumers are very powerful and if they decide something's not working anymore, they'll change in a heartbeat and they can change very quickly because of the online environment. So it's more as much a defensive tactic for big organisations, for established organisations, for market-dominant organisations, as it is for as much as defensive for them as that is important for those who want to disrupt. In, 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 um, in other words, build up those sort of environments where everybody's thinking laterally and coming up with new solutions. So getting back to where we started from, innovation is not as a result of creativity. Innovation, in my view, is as a result of trying to remedy a problem, a current problem. And that means looking at exactly everything that's happening within your marketplace, looking at the problem, remedying the problem, then creating a solution around it. That's what innovation is. And I think it's, uh, it's all these guys that make all this money at the moment uh, that we keep reading about, they are all people who have come up with new solutions to age-old problems. And they just leave the incumbents for dead. Kodaks and all those sort of organisations being left for dead. Uber's a great example of what Uber's done, you know, left the old taxi system for dead. You know, p- people have a different view on hire cars and taxis today. But yet the hire cars and taxis just kept doing the same thing they've always done. All of a sudden Uber come in, swept them all up and has just completely smashed the world of taxis and uh, hire cars. So much so that in places like France having bloody riots and stuff um, in Paris, you know, the cab drivers are... So I think that's, uh, we, there's a valuable lesson in all this for us. And Kate's a good example of somebody coming today. I mean, I don't know whether she's going to smash the world, but she's a good example of this sort of stuff. Um, she's looked at a problem and said, okay, well, the fashionable bag the Gucci produces or whoever it is isn't good enough for me. It's too expensive. It's not functional enough. requires me to carry more than one bag. Um, whilst it's elegant and fashionable, that sort of stuff, it doesn't have all the other elements that are, that are required for a busy professional today. Good solution. I like it. Solve something, remedy the problem. That's innovation. Ask Mark. Tweet Mark with your questions at Mark Boris. M A R K B O U R A S. Um, so what have we got? What are they? What are they asking? We got time. I think we've got time for two questions. Great. Well, the first one, Mark, is what is the single most important factor in your success? I keep getting asked that question all the time. There is no such thing as a single important factor. All factors are important in success, not just my success, anyone else's success. All factors, there's dozens and dozens and they overlay and there's an intricate web of these things and it's quite intricately connected as well. So not only are they layer, but they're connected. So I can't say there is any one thing. And to be frank with you, success is measured a whole lot of different ways and success in what? 
Um, you know, do they, they asking me, you know, do, about my success, can I make a pile of money? Um, well, that's a whole lot of different important factors attached to that as opposed to, Mark, how did you build a good brand? A whole lot of uh, important factors built that. Or, Mark, how do you keep a really good team and, and uh, recruit people to stay with you and build a national footprint? Uh, it's a bit like that chap from Perth asked me how he can build a big financial services business. It's not an easy answer. It takes years and years and years, and it takes me a year to answer me the question. And he'd have to actually – I couldn't answer the question, articulate it. He'd have to actually be watching me and following me around for a year to see how it all works. So there is no – the answer to the question is – and this is an answer. There is no single important factor that um, I, use, I have engaged in in building success in any particular aspect of any of my business ventures. Um, it is a combination, nearly an algorithm of complex factors that connect and interconnect with each other and are repeated time and time and time again, over and over and over and over and until they get refined, until they become effectively perfect. Um, that's my answer. The second one, Mark, is what popular entrepreneurial advice do you disagree with? Most. Uh, oh, let me pick one. Good example. I mean, I, to be frank, I am sick to death of uh, everybody spruiking entrepreneurial advice and they all roll out the same crap every fucking time. And, you know, it's sort of like uh, it's nearly become witch doctor quackery in my view and they all get up there on the stage and they all say the same crap and 90% have never even done anything. It's like textbook stuff and quite frankly they should never even be taught at university some of this stuff. But one good example is um, mentor. I need a mentor. No, what these people need mentors for, they, they think is someone, they, what they're looking for is an advisor. They want someone actually to tell them how to run their business and how to set up the business and how to find this and how to do that and how to market and how to build a brand. And, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, chill. What you need if you want to be good at business, if you want a mentor, is you don't need a mentor. You want someone to ask you fucking questions. Someone who puts the buns and burn at your belly day after day after week after week and just keeps questioning you. Because the bottom line is you've got to come up with the answers. No point me giving you an answer about what I do and then you're taking my idea and employing it into your business because it might be completely inappropriate. Um, and, and, and everything is connected and interconnected. So there's, you, know, you can't just slot an idea into the, into the machine, machinery. It's all part of a, um, a complex organism. What you need to be doing is getting someone to ask you questions about what you're doing in building the organism. So a popular view is give me a mentor, tell me all the answers. My view is no, give me a mentor that's going to ask you the questions. Bottom line is you've got the answers and you've got to build the answers. And if you can't build the answers, you're never going to make it. Looking forward, this is the week ahead. So, so Jess, what have we got coming up? What's ahead? Today's the big day. We've got the inflation rate out later today and also uh, RBA Governor Glenn Stevens is making a speech too. And what's his speech about today? That is a very good question. We just know that he's, uh, he's making a speech uh, and, and I, I guess he'll cover the RBA minutes amongst other things. He has, hasn't given us a brief about what it's specifically going to be on. I guess he's going to be talking about property prices. Let's be interested in what he's got to say about property prices because that's the popular discussion at the moment, although it looks like property prices are tailing off a bit at the moment. I, pre- I, I presume he's going to hopefully make his speech after the inflation numbers come out. Yes, I hope so. Um, and uh, can probably tell us, give us a bit of a, a level on where Australia's going and what's going on and also what's going on in China and uh, Greece. So uh, maybe he's going to give us a, have a discussion today about 
all the popular myths that are floating around the joint, particularly the stuff you pick up out of the newspapers, which is driving me absolutely fucking insane. Um, I mean, just such a waste of time. I mean, I was watching one of the international um, finance TV shows on, on Fox yesterday, last night, and uh, the number of times I repeated the same story and every, from every different angle... And I listened to it and listened for hours and I, I'd be frank, I still don't have a conclusion about it. I don't know whether I'm Arthur or Martha. I mean, I, you know, they're talking about the China thing because um, they don't know. I mean, it's just, it's mental. Um, so it's very important for us to hone in what Glenn Stevens says. He's the only one that makes any sense to me. And by the way, he's got his hands on the lever. So what he thinks is what's going to happen. So, or most likely to happen. Forget about what everyone else says. That's it. Rap. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Boris and find out more at markboris.com.au. Listener.